Hi, I'm Mario Evan, and you're listening to Talk Trot, a weekly inspired entertainment podcast discussing the things that most people are afraid to, but from a Jamaican perspective. From relationships, sex and sexuality, to the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, in this space we speak about almost anything with the intention to inspire, educate, entertain, and create a fair and balanced space where your truth shall become your power and set you free. All right. Hey, family. Welcome to this next episode of Talk Truth. And guess what? I have another friend with me and I love interviewing people that I know. Um, Today, we're going to talk about her journey through a condition called endometriosis. And hopefully we'll get to tackle some of the things that she's never discussed in the public eye. That I know will be meaningful to you. Welcome, Shauna Gay Fuller Clark. <laughs> you full go by the name. Hi, Mario. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, before we start, let's play a little game of what I call this or that. Oh my really goodness. simple, just a few of them. And what I want to do is quickly just answer whatever comes to your mind as I say these things. Okay. Um, first one: cats or dogs? Dogs. Awesome. Um, beach or river? Beach. Why? It's the sand. You like the sand? It's the waves. (laughs) It's the cool breeze. Okay, I hate the sand, but I love the beach. Uh, As a Jamaican, oxtail or stupies? Ooh, stupies with pigstail. Stupies with pigstail. With pigstail. All right, absolutely. Uh, Since ice cream is a hot topic, um, rum and raisin or pistachio? Oh. I know, interesting ones. Rum and raisin. Yeah, I agree too. And um, finally, black colors, black or yellow? Yellow. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's a good segue into um, this this conversation. Well, well, we already know that that you you have a condition that's called endometriosis. So how I want to start, actually, tell us a little bit about the medicine. So I'm a doctor, so we can talk about this. What is endometriosis? Well, endometriosis is when tissue similar to what's found in the womb is outside of the womb. And it behaves similarly. So every time you're going to see a period, it will build up wherever it is. And at the time of the period, it will bleed wherever it is. Right. And it won't have anywhere to escape. Right. So oftentimes the tissue is found in the pelvic area. But there are cases where it's found, you know, in the lungs, in the brain, the back of the throat, in really odd areas. Um, so that's pretty much what it is. Wow, you explain that even better than some doctors. But I guess you've <laughs> had to speak to a lot of the public. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are first. And then I'm going to ask you about what you do. Who is Shauna? Shauna is quite nerdy. Shauna loves life. Shauna loves to read um, and spend a lot of time with family and friends. I think I love to live my life as best as possible. Mm-hmm. I think based on my experiences, um, but I'm a lover of life, friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. Life, friends and family. What can we do without them? Um, and in terms of day-to-day, Shauna, what would you say you spend most of your work life doing? <gasps> I know you do many things, but... Um. Okay, well, I work in a family business. Yeah. I am a part of the family. Kingston Bookshop. Mm-hmm. Um, worked there all my life yeah. before I was even the age. Before you even knew you were working? Before, And it right. wasn't child labor then? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I would help my mom when she used to be a cashier downtown. And, you know, I used to wrap packages 
and worked as a customer service rep. Mm-hmm. So I work at Kingston Bookshop as the director of strategy and innovation. So I'm in charge of, you know, making sure that we're on the right track to meet our goals as an organization mm-hmm. and helping the company to be more creative and innovative. So that's Kingston Bookshop Shauna. <laughs> right, right. That's what you do in the nine to five. That's what I do in my nine to five. I also have a foundation um, called the Base Foundation, which is wholly dedicated to providing information and support to those who are affected by endometriosis. So some would say that's also a nine to five because yeah. it's 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 nonstop and we get messages all the time and we do outreach where we physically, well, before COVID, physically go out into schools and workplaces right. to let people know what this what this thing is what, and yeah, what does base what does does BASE stand for? BASE stands for Better Awareness and Support for Endometriosis. Right. And um, more recently, I've been doing a lot of keynote speaking um, at conferences and, you know, started my coaching practice helping women in senior executive roles lead better. Right, right. I love that. All right. Well, t- let's go back to Shauna, the child. And what I want to get an idea of, I kind of get a, want to get an idea of... The type of person you were as a kid. And I want to know what your personality was like. How would you, how would you describe yourself? Oh, my gosh. Full of life. Yeah. Um, always doing performances for my family. So we would have um, special weekends where we would put on a show that had an intermission. <laughs> and they would have to pay for the drinks and the snacks, of course, that they bought at the supermarket. Right. So that was one thing. I was heavily involved in performing arts. Um, I was in pantomimes growing up, right. performed at Little Theatre, Ward Theatre, Trinidad. Right. Um, I was in Little People, Ashi. Right. I played the piano. I did ballet. So I was very, very, very active as a child. And I also did, if anyone remembers, Vibrations. Vibrations, right. It was a TV it, show. When it was, <laughs> when it was JBC. <laughs> When it was JBC, I did vibration. So as a child, I was very outgoing. Yeah. Um, not hindered by anything. A tomboy sometimes. Even when I was in high school, I think I was pretty active, um, meeting people, you know, loving to interact with people and just enjoying myself. Right. right. All right. Well, that's, I'm going to move you forward a bit because, of course, endometriosis is a condition related to the menstrual cycle. So you hit puberty. You start seeing your period. Mm-hmm. At that point in life, all of these things are normal for you, like periods and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they come regularly, mm-hmm. monthly, no problem. Mm-hmm. As you become older as a teenager, was there any change in that, in the in your cycle or anything? Nothing. In your life, has there been any change in your cycle? N- well, as a teenager, there was nothing. Right. I had my period. My period used to last, I think, maybe four or five days. Right. No Typical. pain, really, maybe a little discomfort first day. But I had nothing in terms of um, heavy bleeding or long periods or anything like that. Right, right. Would you pinpoint a point where there is any change or that was not how you picked up the change? I think the changes started when I was around 21. Yeah. Where I started getting severe bloating um, and a lot of discomfort um, around the time of my period. Yeah. And... I really thought it was normal. I wasn't really paying attention because I've heard of women getting bloated. Right. But what I didn't realize that they weren't getting the severe bloating that I was experiencing. I mean, my stomach got so big. Um, someone would think I was 
seven months pregnant. Right. I could not wear my regular clothes during that time. I could not lie down on my stomach because it was just so painful. Yeah. What were you doing in your 20s around that time? You were in school or? Around 21, I was doing law. I just finished my first degree and I was doing law. So I was living on my own and mm. I never really had my friends around me because um, it was a new university I was going to. So um, I never really had that support. But I was in school and then I moved back to Jamaica 20, 2003, I think. So you would have been in the UK at that time. I was in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. I was in the UK. And I moved back to Jamaica in 2003 and my mom mm-hmm. noticed that I was having the severe bloating and the discomfort because I was sharing a room with someone and they, my cousin and, you know, they were saying, Shona, why is your stomach like that? Yeah, yeah. Like, why, why is your stomach like that? Or why can't you participate in this family dinner? Right. Um, and I'm like, because I'm in pain and my stomach is swollen. I don't want to go out because my clothes are not fitting. Um, so that happened for quite a few years. Um, went to doctors, more than one gynecologist. Yeah. And I was told that, you know, the bloating is a part of it. Yeah. The bloating is a part of, you know, having a period. And I've never gone to them when I was actually experiencing that severe bloating. Right, right. So, so they, they never sought to see, to see right. it. But, and then you also have these women who you can speak to about it now from a perspective of comparing yourself to what they have. Yes. And, and it's different and you realize it's different. Well, social media wasn't around that time. Right, right, right. So there's not even that space. Right. So at this point, you don't know about endometriosis personally. Right. Um, not in any great detail. Nothing in my 20s. Never heard of the word. Right. Just knew that I was having more pain with my severe bloating and more pain um, the first and second day of my period. Which you would have started to accept as your normal. Yes. All right. So fast forward to when you start to um or how you start to find out that this is really what it is that is endometriosis and not your normal well the interesting thing is is that nothing else happened um pain wise in my pelvic area mm-hmm. from i was about 2028 i started experiencing shortness of breath um and i kind of ignored it because mm-hmm. i thought you know I may mean, I put on some weight right 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 for exercise right So I used to go around um, Emancipation Park to walk, um, to jog, and I realized that I couldn't even do half a lap without pausing to catch my breath. I live in a townhouse here in Kingston, and my bedroom is the top floor. Mm-hmm. And when I had to go upstairs, I had to hold on to my chest of drawers because I just could not catch my breath. So... I was just like, okay, I'm going to try and lose some weight. I was smoking at the time. So I th- said, you know, let me just ease off of the smoking. Yeah. Because maybe this is what is causing it. And I I went through that for a while, self-diagnosing. Right, because right, Because I'm right. just like, I'm that fat. That this is body weight. Yeah, and, this is body And you're also young. And when you're that age, nobody's thinking that you have anything serious. Yeah, man, I'm 28. Young, yeah. I'm, I'm good, good. Yeah. And um, then my mom realized because in... 2009 so after a year of me going through this 2009 I had to go back to England for a reunion and normally you know I have strong back so I can lift up the suitcase them and right, everything right. and I was not able to help my mom as I would have done usually mm-hmm. and she wasn't even supposed to be on this trip but she wanted to go to England with me so we ended up sharing a room and she said she said Shauna 
you're not breathing. You're not breathing right. You're not breathing right. Because when I came off that flight to England, I realized that I started feeling a little sticking pain in my chest. Mm -hmm. And then mom started telling me, you know, you're not breathing right. I don't like how you look. Um, your stomach is swelling. And I started to get concerned. Yeah. Because she had to wake me up sometimes in the night to, to, to say, you know, sleep in this position. So when she observed this, because of course I'm sleeping. I don't know what, how I'm well, sleeping, right? Right, right. When I came back, I said to her, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm going to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor and the doctor gave me, I went to a GP because yeah. it's breathing. Right, right, right. right. The doctor gave me um, some asthma medicine. Mm -hmm. Never forget it. Mm -hmm. Puff and something else. Gave me some asthma, asthma medicine and tell me some I have asthma. Right. So I was, I was a little perplexed. Because me at 28, 29, never had asthma before. Home, I pick up asthma. So, right, so, so suddenly yeah. or yeah, randomly. Yeah. Yes. But then after about two, three weeks, I wasn't feeling better. I was still having this shortness of breath. And um, we decided to get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. So my parents knew this doctor that was, I think he was like a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And I go, you know, just go to him and get a checkup. So I went to him, got a checkup. He he did this thing. I don't know what you call it, but when you tap on somebody's chest. Right. It's called, it's percussion. You check for the percussion note, right? You tap and it was dull, I'm guessing. Something. Because he, he started checking and he goes, breathe in. Right. I breathe, breathe in and, and he, he goes, breathe out. And then he goes, huh, I don't like how this sounds. Right. Mario, you never want to hear a doctor say, I don't like how this <laughs> doctors do it a lot, you know, when more it, than they should. You yeah. don't want to hear that. Right. So he said, you know what? I am going to send you to get an x-ray. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'll do the x-ray. So I did the x-ray. I was getting worse. And I remember going to Subway because I live close in the Ligony area. I was mm -hmm. going to Subway. And I know Simon Diamond, the guy that sells flowers. And mm -hmm. from high right, school. Right, 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 right. And I sat down. He came to me and said, what sweetness? You're all right. And I sat down on the ledge by the gas station. And I said, Simon, you know, Simon, don't all right. And I had a conversation with Simon. I'll never, ever forget. Because he was the first one I was really talking to about how I felt at the situation. I told him that I was scared. And him said, no, don't worry here, sister. Don't bother, don't bother. You're going to be all right. And... That was that. And I want to say about a week after, I was in a meeting with my parents because I work with my parents mm -hmm. and a PR person. And I dressed up cute that morning. I had my hair done, my nails done. I was feeling very cute when I was in that <laughs> meeting. I even took a selfie at the time. Right. And I was in that meeting and I noticed that my parents were distracted. And I wanted to get out of that meeting so bad. Yeah. It's one of those meetings that you wish you never had. Yeah. And... I was just, I was just, mom and dad, come, let's just focus on this meeting so we can just finish. And after about 20 minutes, my father says, um, I don't know if you're aware, speaking to the PR person, but Shauna is not well. And Shauna has to be admitted into the hospital right away. Oh, you didn't know? Mouth dropped wide open. I had no idea. 
Oh, because the x-ray report got to them before it got to you. The x-ray results. And the communication from the doctor as to what needs to happen went, right. went to them before before right. you, right? right? Just because, because of the nature be, of the dynamic, right? Because he had, he had permission to share right, with Right, right. And they were aware. And mm-hmm. with me and them. So I don't know if he tried to get me. I think he probably tried to get and me. And couldn't get, get me. through, right? So he called based on the urgency to say, Shauna had to go into the hospital. So that was the first time I was hearing about it. And I was like, what are they talking about? Yeah. So I, they said, okay, Shauna, you got to pack up and you got to go home, um, pack a bag because you're going to go to the hospital. So I'm in shock. The PR lady prayed for me at that time. Mm-hmm. I'm still in denial. Right. So I went home, called my boyfriend at the time who was living in Atlanta mm-hmm. and said, babes, I have to go to the hospital now. I'm sure it's just going to be like a weekend thing. I'm just like, check. <laughs> right. The person I was living with at the time, my roommate, my cousin, I said, you know, Jules, let's like pack one bag. She's about 10 years my senior. Yeah. So she kind of gave me a side eye because I was predicting that I was going to be in the hospital only for a weekend. And she's kind of like, you like, don't know what's going on. Yeah, you know, the hospital <laughs> thing going, you know, you know. <laughs> you're just not sure, right? Yeah. So I packed my bag. I drove to my parents. I stayed there for a little and waited. And um, the whole family, I think, swooped down to my family's house because I have two brothers and one one sister. I don't think my older brother was in Jamaica at the time. And everybody was concerned. Mm-hmm. I still wasn't concerned at that time. You had a diagnosis on the... I mean, when I say a diagnosis, you remember what the x-ray said, what the report said? I still hadn't heard from the doctor in terms of what it said. Right, so in that moment, you do, you didn't even know what's, nope. what, what it is. You just know you need to go to hospital. Yep. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went to the hospital, and I think the first time that I was, I acknowledged that it was could be more than a weekend was when they were checking me in yeah. into the hospital, and I got my room. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, goodness gracious, what is this, Shauna? I'm 28, 29. My life is ahead of me. What is this? Mm-hmm. Um, so later on in the day, the doctor comes. He shows me my x-ray. And on one side of the x-ray, it was completely white, right? Remember, I'm not going to doctors. You know, I'm someone that don't get sick, don't get flu, don't get anything. And this happened. So I'm totally surprised. Mm-hmm. And he shows the x-ray and he said, I don't know. He says, Shauna, this doesn't look good. I'm going to do a few tests. I'm going to try and get the liquid out because he says there's liquid, which is why that place space is white. Right. And um, I'm hoping for it to be a particular color. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm, I can deal with this. I can deal with this. And then a few hours later, a pulmonologist comes in and they go, okay, we're going to tap your back. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, what do you mean tap What do you mean back? tap my back? Like with your finger? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so then she says, okay, we're going to get the liquid from your back. So I'm going to put like a syringe or something to get the liquid out. Mario, based on how much liquid was in my chest, she never really had to pull much. It just started. It just came out. It was coming out. And I kid you not, I thought I was going to die. Um, the pain I felt when they were pulling out that liquid, it was it was so much. I felt like my heart was going to burst. My chest was going to explode. 
and the liquid that's coming out. Imagine you having a, a red wine mm-hmm. that's kind of spoiled mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it has that dark, murky mm-hmm. th- liquid color. Yeah. That was what was coming out of my chest. And that pulmonologist pulled two liters of, of fluid. that fluid out of my chest in well it was one go she took one liter out first um because she said she couldn't take right all you of can't it. take it all one time and i was screaming i was screaming and my my mom was outside the door and i can't imagine what my parents felt like yeah when they heard those shouts and when the liquid came out, it was just that awful color and they had to wheel that liquid past my parents. So that was the one of the most traumatic things I've gone through with that. Um, and they told me after that because that liquid has been in my chest for such a long time, my body got accustomed to it. So when they were pulling it out, it was as if my body was going into shock. Right. Um, yeah, your body compensates for it. But it's still part of your fluids doing us. So you have five liters of blood in your body. So if you have <laughs> if you have two liters of fluid in your lung, it's still part of your overall volume. So when they take it out, if they take it out too quickly, you can literally like go into shock, yeah? It was it was off. They have to put it back in, actually. Wow, well. Uh, through I through the IV. It's kinda it's a balance, it's a push and pull. Yeah, it was it was awful. I mean, the following day they took another liter out. And this is in the context of you guys not having a diagnosis too. So so you are in the hospital, the doctors are doing these things and you don't even know what to say. You know, I know as a doctor I know people are thinking everything possible. They're like, Could it be lung cancer? Could yeah. it be yeah. right? You're the myriad of things. And he shared it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well well the doctors they should. Yeah, nice he said way. he said, you know, it could be cancer, it could be lupus. Um, so they're going to do some tests on this liquid to see what it could be. And then I remember being wheeled out and going to do an MRI, yeah. maybe. And the person that was doing my, my MRI is someone that I went to school with. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, how are you living? How are you walking around? Yeah. She said the pressure that your heart and everything is going through is so much. She said, I don't even understand how you're walking around. And I was like, girl... Me no know, but me grateful. Yeah. Say so I was able to still manage. But, you know, one of the things that happened was that weekend was a holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. And nobody was available in the lab to do the tests. I had lost weight. Um, I had no energy. Mm-hmm. I could not breathe at this time. I could not lie down flat on my back. I was always gasping for air. And um, I couldn't. I couldn't walk without assistance. And they said to me, you know what? We're going to release you because there's no one to test the liquid right right now. And we want you to be comfortable. So we're going to release you so you can go to your parents' house and stay. For the weekend. For the the rest of the weekend. Yeah. I didn't feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. My parents never felt comfortable with that. My family never felt comfortable with that because clearly something is very wrong. Right. And they were going to release me. Right. Um, and so I went home. I went home not knowing what was happening and scared a little. Yeah. Um, just because of the uncertainty. So I went home and my dad made scrambled eggs and cheese and tomato 
for me with cheese and tomato. And that was one of the dishes that I loved mm-hmm. as a child that he would make for me. Mm-hmm. So may I pick up the rate now and I said, Jeez, I'm peas. <laughs> 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 a long time my father don't cook, right? you know, I make scramble like that with cheese and bacon, yeah, like cheese and tomato. Final breakfast, like, no, I hope not. <laughs> wow. So by this time, um, my boyfriend yeah. came back, came to Jamaica. Like he left his work, you know, he left his, he just told him, look, my girl is sick. I'm going to Jamaica. So he came to Jamaica. So he was there now. And my parents said, you know, Shauna, we are going to try and fly you out to the States to get treatment, mm-hmm. um, which was tough to do because we needed to give 48 hours notice to be able to get oxygen, to be able to travel. This time is Air Jamaica. Right. So we had to actually just call on everybody, call on everybody that we knew to see if I could get on a flight. Yeah. And before I could even get on the flight, I had to be double checked by the pulmonologist that I was, stable it was enough. safe enough right. and stable enough. So they had to be checking my oxygen levels. So um, I remember going to the airport early in the morning, first flight, my mom, my boyfriend, my dad. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if any of my siblings were there. And I saw my dad cry at the airport. Yeah. Because I'm going away. And at that point, we don't know what's wrong. They don't know what's wrong with Shauna. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really rough because we were the three directors of Kingston Bookshop. My my father, my mother, and myself. Mm Mm-hmm. And or exec, the act, acting directors, right? So with mom going with me, it's only him. Someone had to stay. Yeah. Someone had to stay. And I, I never like attention. And all the passengers were looking at this young 28, 29 years old. And you were on oxygen? In a wheelchair mm-hmm. with my oxygen tank. I felt like a specimen, right? Yeah. And that made me cry. Mm -hmm. The attention actually made me cry. So we got to the US and um, tried for the hospital that we wanted, which was Memorial in Miami. Mm -hmm. They would not accept me. Mm -hmm. And it would have been really far from where we were staying. So we opted for another hospital, got there, and they went, check her in immediately. Because they saw the x-rays. We took my x-rays with me. And they said, check her in immediately. So I was in emergency. And they went through some whole bunch of tests at that point. Mm-hmm. I know they would have to do their own tests. Yeah. Um, how long were you in that hospital? <gasps> <laughs> and, and, and was the diagnosis found at this hospital? I could have been in that hospital for mm, 10 to 14 days. All right, so about two weeks, Tom's? About two weeks. When I went in... They did all the tests. The doctor that saw me said, you are exhibiting symptoms of a 60-year-old. Okay. And you are 28. Wow, these doctors have a lot of interesting things to say. Lord. (laughs) I was just like, what? I'm taking notes on things not to say. Things not to say as a doctor. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And um, they did all the tests. And then they said, we're going to have to operate on you because we need to find out what's wrong. Yeah. So I was scared at this point. And somehow my dad was able to catch a flight to see me before I went into the hospital, went into surgery. Right. And there was a doctor there, Dan. I called him Dan the Man. Dan the Man. And he 
when he caught me at my weakest, he started singing um, Three Little Birds. <laughs> Bob Marley, right? <laughs> he started singing Three Little Birds. And I was... Don't worry about that thing. I really yeah, think it's going to be all right. Man, yeah. And that lifted me in that time. Interesting, yeah. And um, boyfriend with me. And I, I felt that I had to be strong for my family and my boyfriend. Yeah. Because I was always the one who was organizing stuff. I've always been the, the daughter and the sibling that's doing everything, doing the most. Yeah. So at that point, I still felt that sense of obligation. But you're the one in the, in the bed. I'm the one in the bed. Mm-hmm. So I had the surgery. And I remember waking up slightly. Um, and my parents around me saying, she's awake, she's awake, she's awake. And daddy said, here's a piece of paper. Your, your siblings are outside. And I still have that paper. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I wrote, "Ma, all right, my love no bad, 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 bad." I still have that paper. And for all of you guys who are not Jamaicans, once we repeat something, now it's emphasis on yeah. how much we love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I what I heard was that um, what I heard was that my lung had collapsed. Yeah, and it was the size of a tennis ball, right? Tightly wrapped in mucus because it looks like. From the very first time I started experiencing the shortness of breath mm-hmm. was when that liquid was in my chest. So I was walking around literally with two liters of liquid in my chest for a year and a half. Or, or maybe medically it took a while to build up, but it was start, it started, it started, right? it started to, to, to accumulate. Yeah. Right. So I was intubated. Yeah. Where, you know, they put that thing. What you always, only, only thing, time I see that is in the movies. Yeah? <laughs> Where they put the tube down your throat and right. try and work on the lung. They didn't think it was going to come up. But it, it eventually started performing how they wanted it to perform. So when they woke me up, they pulled out the, the tube. Oh, so they were intubating you to, to expand the lung. Yeah, after yeah. the surgery. After the surgery. Did you have a chest tube at any point? I'm talking medical things now. I did have a chest tube and it was awful. So guys, whenever you have liquid or air in the lung, they put in a chest tube. Um, really what it does, it allows the, the liquid to come out or the air to come out in a more measured fashion. But it, it comes out. <laughs> yeah, man. I was walking with my tree. So I had a chest tube. And it was attached to the ivy and yeah, whatever. Yeah. The, my tree. Your tree, right? My tree. Which is your, like my your tree. drip stand with everything. Right. <laughs> my tree. So I had they, they forced me to use this machine to blow into. Right. To build up right. my lungs. Right, 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 right. And to cough out whatever phlegm that was left. Yeah. Um, and it allows them to measure how well you're breathing as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So I they forced me to walk around the halls. Mm-hmm. The passageways twice, twice a day, three times a day to just try and build up my strength. Because by this time, I can't walk four feet um, without, without being short of breath, mm-hmm. being short of breath or being extremely tired. Mm-hmm. So I had to get assistance in getting showers, using the toilet. They took x-rays every morning. Yeah. Um, my aunt flew in from New York and helped me. Another aunt was there supporting me. My family was there, right? Um, but it was still rough to to come back. And and if you've ever watched House, yeah, or you know these medical shows, Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. I had I was like the mystery patient because I had students coming in almost every day saying, you know, 
um, did you travel to Africa? Right, Could right, you have right. contracted a disease? Because you're in a teaching hospital and then they are allowed to come and question you. They all know me and I hear nothing about endometriosis. And yeah. And I was there and every day they asked me questions. And eventually at the 13th or 14th day, they said, look, the doctor came in and he sat down. He said, your, your lung is about three quarter way up. Right. Um, the other part is just not inflating. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what causes to collapse. Right. It could happen again. Because we just don't know what caused it to collapse. But you're stable. You've improved. So we're going to send you home. That's what happened. That's what happened. So you still don't have a diagnosis yet? Nothing. Right. Nothing at all. And I can't even tell you how um, that plays on your psyche. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to start living in fear to say, geez, I'm... One I, day if you... Like a tire. It's like a car tire that being blow out. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to the place I was staying at and I continued to do my exercise and someone sent messages to me, right? Could it be this thing called endometriosis? Right. And I was just like, what? You could have been one of the persons that sent that message to me Possibly. based on what your dad said. Possibly, yeah. Could it be endometriosis? Someone else sent a message. Could it be endometriosis? So my mom said, Shauna, you remember that you always had that bloating? Let's go to a gynecologist here yeah. at the same hospital. Right. Went back Booked an appointment to see a gynecologist. I said to the gynecologist, could it be endometriosis? He chuckles and he says, no, 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 no. Endometriosis happens when... I can't remember what he said. But in a nutshell, he said no. It's funny you say that because I think at the time I, I was talking to my dad about your case. And him being him, he was like... He's a gynecologist, by the way. He said, um... You know what they need to do? They need to take that fluid from Shauna's lung and spin it down and look under a microscope. And they say if they see pretty much endometrial tissue in it, then that would be whole. But he says if they don't spin it down, like if they pull it off and throw it away or they they don't spin it down, you may not see it. Yeah. He was just saying that casually. I was like, so, you know, all this time, maybe there are other ways to pick it up. But again, it's not common. So common things are common in medicine. You have to look for everything. But, but, you know, yeah. But, you know, I I mean, I have to give props to the Jamaican doctors. Yeah. Because I sometimes I find we have a wider knowledge and we don't just stick to our specialist area. Right. Because when those doctors and the surgeons were doing my surgery, they're just trying to fix my lung. Right. They're pulmonologists. They're not uh, thinking about anything else that could happen. Yeah. Right. And when you go to the gynecologist, if it's a gynecologist that doesn't have experience and they're presented with someone who had a lung collapse, right. they might not even think about it because maybe their experience is just the tissue in the pelvic area. Right. So um, I couldn't shake the feeling that it was something related to gynecology. Because of your history. Right. Mm-hmm. So I came back to Jamaica um, after spending two months in, in the US, came back. It was safe to travel. Yeah. Came back and got an appointment with a gynecologist in Jamaica mm-hmm. and gave him my 800-page medical report. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. And um, he said, and I spoke about my symptoms, when they started, what the symptoms were exactly, how I was feeling, the level of pain. And he said, ah, you know, it sounds like you could have this thing called endometriosis. I didn't raise it. He was the one that brought it up. And I would, he said that he would need to do a procedure to be able to tell me whether or not it was. Yeah. 
but I had just jumped into my master's because when all of this was happening, um, right before it started happening, I had applied to do my MBA. Right. So when I came back, I was like two weeks late to do my MBA, but I was fully into my MBA. Where now. did the MBA in Jamaica? It was Jamaica, but it's a part of Uni- University of New Orleans. So it was distance learning. Yeah. The, yeah. the, le- the lecturers came down okay. and did our classes. Mm-hmm. So I, I told the doctor, pause. I don't want no more procedure after what I just went through. Right. And I'm in this MBA. Not, <laughs> not happening, no. This this not going to happen. But you know what was interesting was I realized that I couldn't laugh loudly. I couldn't shout. Yeah. I couldn't speak for long periods. And I started to suspect that when they intubated me, something went wrong. Yeah. So I ended up seeing an ENT specialist who ended up doing a procedure to help correct that. Right. Um, right. Because whatever they did, they touched something, Some, ripped yeah. something, and I had those problems. So I had to have that s- procedure um, while all this is going on. Yeah. Wow. All right. So back in Jamaica, doing your master's, gynecologist thinks it's endometriosis. So now you actually have a suspected diagnosis after mm-hmm. all of this and i'll also say as a doctor hindsight sadly is often 2020 so mm-hmm. so whoever is re- receiving this now has uh, this wealth of information mm-hmm. tied to a very clear history tied to the plural tap which is bloody fluid tied to your trip to the u.s um which i'm sure helped when was the diagnosis formally made or no, I should say at this point, have you accepted that this is endometriosis? Are you happy that you have this suspected diagnosis that makes sense? What is your feeling? How are you feeling now that you you hear somebody else say it? I wasn't totally convinced. Yeah. Because of everything I've gone through. <laughs> right. You're um, not so sure what to I'm believe like, anymore. Look at this doctor. Him now, him now look upon me insides yet and he must say endometriosis. <laughs> right. Right? So um I was like, okay, I I will do the procedure. This is the end of 2019. So 2010, when he when I visit him, he said, you don't want to do the procedure. I'm like, look, I'm getting married in July. <laughs> so let us do this procedure in November, which is my last week in my master's. Right. When I don't have those other things dealing with. So Were you we, getting married to the boyfriend who was with you? I was getting married to the boyfriend. Oh, wow. So I was getting married to the boyfriend. We'll talk about that in a We can bit. talk yeah. about that. All right. So he wanted to do the procedure. Ending of master's, pre, pre, pre-marriage, pre which would be the following year you were getting married, right? Right. So he wanted to do the surgery in 2010. Yeah. So early in 2010, I said, no, I'm going to get married because, of course, this time I am enjoying my life to the fullest. Yeah. I'm saying... You know, nothing will hold Shauna back. So you had a little bit of you only live once, you low kind of energy. Yeah, even more so at that time right. because um, a lot of people thought I was going to die, right? Yeah. Because when you don't treat those things and they can have an impact, I mean, I could have been walking down the street and I just dropped down. So I, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to get married. I'm going to finish this master's. Then I'm going to do the surgery. Yeah. So I did the surgery in... November 2010 mm-hmm. and what should have been maybe an hour and a half what they anticipated like an hour and a half two hours ended up being a four hour surgery and he looked exhausted my doctor when he came into my room after to say you know it's one of the worst cases of endometriosis that he's ever seen um, and what what he meant by that was that he said all my organs were stuck together mm-hmm. and he had to, you know, pull them apart, take out the tissue 
that wasn't supposed to be in those places. Right. And he saw the tissue by my diaphragm. Right. Which is how he was able to deduce that. You More know, than likely that you this, had it in the lung as well. Right. Right. I mean, without going into too much medicine, we know that endometriosis for the non-medical people, you know, their stages, their levels, they can mm. be can be mild, it can be severe. So at this point, they did what laparoscopy or they cut it? They were looking in through a microscope. Yeah, laparoscopy. So they they did the whole camera through my navel, through your navel, yeah, and other instruments are in there. Right. All right, which is not as invasive as doing major surgery, but it's still um, a surgical procedure. Right. All right, so they're seeing a lot. So your endometriosis is considered at this point, what, severe, mild? Severe, severe. stage four. Stage four, so you have very severe endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And then we can say more than likely this is what's in your lung. Right. So we have a diagnosis. We do. Do you feel any relief? I feel relief that I, I okay, I have this thing called endometriosis. At this time, I believe that because I've had this procedure, I'm fine. Right, all right. So there's there there right. There's how the dots connect in your mind. At this point you think this has cured you. Yeah. Or at least I'm better. Better. No more lung collapse, no more bloating, no right. more anything. Right, right. Which I, makes sense. Because I got this procedure done and they did all they did their some work, stuff so and I'm good. so I'm good. I'm yeah. good, good. Yeah. So that's how I felt at the time. Um I remember my doctor saying, Shauna, um, you should try getting pregnant. And I was just like, nah, I'm not going to try and get pregnant. No, I said, doctor, 2009, lung surgery, throat surgery, I just get married. You do this surgery. I don't want no picnic right now. Right. I cannot manage this. Right. Because I'm, I'm very career driven. Didn't think I was going to get married. Hadn't been thinking about kids. Um, but just start, live my life again. And I'm like, no. Not, no children, no, no right? Child, not, no children right now, none. Because he had said, he said, if you have a child, maybe, you know, the symptoms will be, re- you'll get some relief right, from right. the symptoms. True, yeah. And I'm like, doc, I'm not ready. Right. And you're not, not getting pregnant just to relieve your symptoms. Not, <laughs> right. Not going to happen. Coming on mentally ready for this at all. Yeah. I have so many questions floating through my head now. I'm going to just go through them. One of them is, how does... An illness that could potentially kill you change your outlook on life. I mean, you already said a little bit already, but... Well, you're more grateful. Mm-hmm. You live a life of gratitude. Um, I am mostly positive. I think I'm a very positive person. Yeah. When I come across challenges, I am laser-focused in terms of how to get over them, how to sidestep them. Challenges don't bother me. Right, there's nothing that you can't get there past. Is, eh? There is nothing. Uh, I have built up my resilience like no one I've known. Um, things, things don't bother me. I don't sweat the small stuff. And I, I live for experiences, right? So those are the things that matter to me. Um, my family, my friends, my experiences, my time with my husband. Um, just being grateful. Yeah, generally, yeah. and and I find having having uh, an approach of being grateful, and you know, really counting your blessings and making the most of life in whatever form your best life is, because my best life might be something quite different from someone else's. Right, exactly. Things don't bother you, and that distinctly changed after this illness. It was more. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had, 
I've had close calls in the past. Yeah, right? with other things. Yes. I've had I've had close calls in the past. I've been kidnapped. Yeah. I've had um, two instances where gunman, um, one put a gun in my side, one held us up somewhere else. And after those experiences, your outlook on life is completely different. So yeah. I was living my a good life before and with those other experiences that I experienced. Um, there's just, yeah. Yeah, gratitude. Yeah, man. Would you say any experience with doctors that you, as a doctor, I find that we tend to relay information in a staged way. And I think as a medical profession, there's a reason for that. Just like everything in life, you have to evolve and grow into learning information. So most people I find in the world don't want everything all at once, but some do. Looking back, if somebody had all the pieces, would you have preferred them tell you everything in one go? Or are you, were you okay with the fact that it came in little pieces? Because somebody could have said, hey, Shauna, this is endometriosis. You have a lung collapse. You could have died. It may affect your fertility, uh, yada, 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 and give you the big picture. Are you like the fact that it kind of un- unro- unraveled? In hindsight, I think I would prefer the big picture. Yeah. You don't have to go into detail for the big picture. You, you, know? don't, you don't. But you could say, this is something that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. So you're going to have to manage it. Um, this could affect your fertility. Um, so because you have stage four endometriosis, I would recommend that you do this because... Right. You know, so some of those things, actually, I mean, I think girls should learn about this disease from they're like 13. Yeah. How am I hearing about this at 29 when it don't affect my reproductive health? Just because already? you had an experience around right. it, right? Right. Why, why, why do we talk about HIV and AIDS right. at 13 in our, our reproductive health classes? And we don't talk about this that affects one in 10, right? I am a one in 10. Yeah, so it's common enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I I would like the big picture. We want to know what we're getting ourselves into. I appreciate that. And actually, I'm going to know, <laughs> say that. I set up that question because I wanted to set it up that way. In medicine, actually, we do like to give informed consent. And the whole basis of, of informed consent is to give a patient the big picture. So that, you know, if you're going into surgery, you know that you could die from the surgery mm-hmm. or you could die from the anesthetic procedure. Mm-hmm. And informed consent is the basis of patients making a decision because if they don't know all of the outcomes, mm-hmm. they can't really make a choice. And that's why people like Jehovah's Witnesses decide they don't want blood. Fine, you may have to get a transfusion. If you do the surgery, you might bleed, mm-hmm. but they can't take blood. So you have to give them all the information that you could die mm-hmm. without the blood. Mm-hmm. Next side, I want you to talk to me about, talk to me about the function of a support system going through something like this oh that's it's inc- it's so important yeah um i don't know what i would have done without my husband and my family um and my friends and your husband who wasn't your husband when you were sick <laughs> no he was my boyfriend at the time yeah so we've we've been going through this together um it is so important because they now understand yeah what i am going through because before, I used to be, I forgot, I used to be very fatigued. I used to be tired all the time. And 
I'm sure my parents thought that um, I was lazy. <laughs> right. I know. I hear them drop that word with my anterity. I said, "Shut up, lazy! You know, she don't want to come to work early." I was just so tired. Right, and you just didn't know why. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why, and they thought, you know, maybe my party too hard. I'm a coming. Right. I just can't wake right, up. Right. So they started to get the understanding that hey, there is this disease, right? And because they're close to me, I'm sharing and they're seeing the symptoms that I'm going through. So. If I can't make family dinner, there's no pressure. Right. If I'm with my friends, I remember being out at a party and I started getting an endo flare up, which is, you know, when the stomach just starts to contract. It feels like someone has daggers in there just. And this would happen close to your period most times, right? Close to my period, maybe like 10 days out. Right. And I remember being at a party with my friends, enjoying myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and out of the blue, I started feeling this pain and I had to sit down and I was so embarrassed. Right. But my friends that were with me knew that I had this thing called endometriosis and they were so helpful in terms of, oh, you must find a chair in a session. They found a chair right, right, in the right, session right. and put the chair right there for so me to sit no down. So there's no right, judgment and there's no, right, because they get it. They get there's it. nothing. So even when I had my second surgery, because I had another surgery after that in 2013 mm-hmm. and it ended up being much worse than the one I had in 2010 because there was a lot of internal bleeding. Yeah, I think they even used my video for classes up there now. Um, <laughs> it it was just they didn't re- they didn't know which organ was which. Right. That's how bad it was. They didn't know which organ was. And which. this being the second procedure would mean that maybe had more deposits and yeah. things changed again on the inside. Yeah, they said it's very aggressive. Yeah. It's it's twenty twenty one. For the last, I want to say four years, um, I felt like I've needed to have another surgery. Yeah. Based on what I've been feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. You know, COVID happened and I couldn't get it done last year. So I'm looking to see if I can get that done because it's 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 a very painful yeah. and can be very lonely disease to have. Yeah. Does the anxiety ever go away? Meaning of something possibly popping up like a lung collapse or I'm something not, new? I'm not too worried about a lot the same lung collapsing right because of what they did i don't know the medical terms of it but they stapled my lung to my chest or the inside of it but i have felt where on the other side of my chest when it's 10 days out from my period or like right before my period i feel a discomfort right that hadn't been there before so in terms of anxiety i generally am able to manage my symptoms now right but stress is a huge trigger um generally for women with endon for me so if i'm highly stressed i have to intentionally slow down go get a massage just you know separate myself from whatever is stressing me so i can get back on track list for me a few things that nobody would know around endo and meaning like if you have to go to a party and you have an endo flare and how you manage it. So what happens if, you sh- if, you, if your outfit not fit? What you do? Jesus. Like, what are some of the things nobody would know? <laughs> like, nobody would know. Unless you had it. Like, if you know, you know. So the man, they wouldn't know. <laughs> unless they're about endo woman. <laughs> Something nobody would know. Yeah. Jeez. Um, so I, oh, so I started taking painkillers before I left the house. Ah, so you so you're on pregame on painkillers. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I said this. Hey, no. But, 
Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, but I started. So I would I would get. Um, so I'm an introvert. Yeah. I am an introvert. Really? Are you? Yes. I am. I am. <laughs> I'm an introvert around people I don't know. Right. Right. And I I tend to be I I like to observe, and so I don't like I don't like networking. Yeah. And I every time I have to I found that most times when I had to network I would get an end of flare because uh, it was stress. there's a stress <laughs> in terms of meeting new people right. talking you know the whole spiel about hi my name is Shauna so I used to get flare ups when I was um, at networking so I just started taking my painkillers before right. so when I'm in the networking <laughs> I would feel a pinch of it but it wouldn't be full blown right so that's something that I did. I don't know if this would be recommended by a doctor, but that's what <laughs> I did. But I always, well, always. Well, I think it's fine. It's like when girls know their period is coming and they, and you start taking your painkillers a little bit ahead of time. It's yeah. something that you can do. Yeah. I always have my painkillers on me. Right. So I have off-the-counter painkillers. I have my prescribed painkillers. Um, so Yeah, that's like black people and hot sauce. Or people with reflux who have dica and antacid. Yeah. Tums. My, my painkillers are all, always, always with, with me. Um, there's some things that I don't do anymore, right? Which is helpful. So I used to love beer, yeah, Heineken, when Asylum, and we used to get the buckets of right, beer. Right. And did I just age myself? <laughs> so, <laughs> so beer is a no-no. Yeah. If you have endo, what is it? Is it like the barley, the wheat? Is it how it's prepared? What's in it? It's it's the barley. So you're not you should you should avoid gluten, right? Which is wheat, barley, and rye. So if you have endometriosis, stay away from anything that has wheat, rye, or barley. What else have you learned to avoid? So for any in the endo warriors, as we call them, yeah, stay away from soy milk. Soy milk, please, wheat, because right. you know. I was on this fitness journey and I started having my protein shakes right. with the soy milk. Lord. Can you have almond milk? Yeah, you can. Okay. You can have all the other milks except for don't have soy. Stay away from dairy if you can. Right, right. Stay away from dairy. Stay away from gluten. A lot of people say stay away from alcohol. Chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> so, and have you seen actual results by staying away from some of these things for you? Are they triggers for you specifically? My, it may vary from person my, to person. My biggest um return on choice yeah was the gluten so i don't have many things with flour in it because flour is gluten yeah um so i'm of course i might have a one dumpling every now and then but i try and stay away from a lot of bread a lot of flour as best as um, and i stay away from the beer so i will i will have breadfruit and i will drink wine (laughs) <laughs> wine wine and cognac <laughs> which usually is not as bad as other harder liquors yeah, eh? yeah. oh wow i'm enjoying this because you're really giving people a perspective into your journey and also kind of some of the things that goes on in the mind of someone with endometriosis which i know you haven't spoken about much before so i'm, I'm honored <laughs> to to be able to have this conversation and i'm taking you for further what are your feelings around around motherhood you're still in your fertile years um how important is it to you um, if it happens or if it doesn't happen or, you know? All right. So this is quite interesting because when I was growing up, I've never been, I, I had never been one who wanted the wedding or the, the marriage or the kids. Right. If it came, it came. But I would, I was never planning my wedding or envisioning being married or having kids. Um, and then I got married. Um, kids, I didn't think about kids. And then people wanted to have kids. 
Yeah. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Right. What they want for you? Don't watch mm. my womb. <laughs> <laughs> Stop watching my womb. Look here. Yeah, I think I'm gonna do a T-shirt it, with yeah, that. Should be. Yeah, don't watch my womb. Um, so in the beginning, I I want to say that kids wasn't some kids weren't something I thought about, mm-hmm. and then I want to say maybe maybe three years after I got married. I was just like, you know what? Let me go try to see if I can have kids right. because I don't want to be 45 or 50 and regret not not trying to right. see if I could have kids, right? So that wasn't working out. Right. And in 2013, when I was having my surgery, um, while they were doing the laparoscopy to get out the tissue, right. the doctor also wanted to see what my tubes were like mm-hmm. to see if they were clear and everything. Um, so I did a, a HSG. Right, right. I did a test before to see if where they run this liquid through right. your tubes to see if they're clear. It's a hysterosal pingogram. Uh-huh. Yeah, they run HSG. the fluid to see if it come through the tubes to see if, right. if they flow, if it's patent. Yeah. So my doctor wants me to get pregnant or wanted me to get pregnant. Of course. Right? Mm-hmm. He's like, Sean, you're not going to try for your youth. <laughs> <laughs> like your family members <laughs> so had the surgery and when i came out of the surgery he said you know shauna um and he was so gutted when he told me this he goes i had to take away both your tubes and i looked at him and i was just like okay tell me why and he said because they were in such an awful state that if he had left them there mm-hmm. in his experience it could have developed into something much worse Right. So I have faith and confidence, total faith and confidence in my doctor. So I said, okay, all right. Because I am here, I am living, I'm enjoying my life. So tubes out for me to be healthy? Sure, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember maybe six months after he did that, I was in bed with, um, you know, sometimes you have pillow talk. Right, right, right. With, with the husband or your partner. Having, having pillow, talk, pillow talk with my husband and I broke down and I said to him, I said, I hate this disease because it has taken away my choice. Right. So I don't even know if it was, you know, me wanting to have a child or it was more the fact that it has taken away choices right. from right. me. You don't, you don't have that, that easy option anymore no yeah and i'm someone who firmly believes that i am the one who dictates my future by whatever actions i take absolutely and at that time i could not take an action to get pregnant because this disease took that choice from me and i was angry yeah for for a little while not a lot not a long time but i was angry because i was angry for myself and i was angry for so many other women who have been affected in this way you were grieving it was actually a part of the grieving yeah. process a loss yeah so then i said to rick you know um all right if i can't have kids then we must serve in some other way right whether it's through the work um with the foundation or you know mentoring or something because naturally I can't have kids, but if I wanted to, I'd have to get assisted fertility treatment. Right. Um, so that was that was a that was an interesting time in my life because I remember going to 
a Mother's Day event at some, you know, sometimes they have this Mother's Day banquet and everything. Right, right. And they gave mommy, sister, sister, and me all roses or something. Right. And I'm just like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now, now I'm able to speak from my my scars right. and not from my wound, right? Yeah. Because at that time... Hold on, that's powerful. I love it. <laughs> now you're able to speak from your scars and not from your wound. Yeah. I love it. I'm able, I'm able, I'm able to speak about it. You know, this is the first time I'm speaking about my experience with endometriosis in such uh, a deep and a profound way. Yeah. Because when I'm doing interviews, it's usually a five minute you know, so where you're the head of the foundation, one of, and you're the one teaching, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I've said this to you before that you know I'm giving sometimes from an empty cup, yeah, an empty cup, and some people don't realize that because I have this disease, I also go through some of the things that they go through. Right. But thankfully, because of my support system and because I've built up my resilience, I think I'm able to bounce back quickly. But that doesn't take away what I was feeling at the time. Yeah. Right. So um, that was a that was a difficult time for me to see, you know, and sometimes they would say, I have a niece and she looks like me. Mm-hmm. So they go, oh, it's your daughter, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's my niece. So, um, and then people would say, what are you waiting on? You know, whether it's church people, your yeah, friends, fa- friends, family, you know, but people who don't know, like you and Ricky, you and Ricky married now for three years, yeah, four years. The them there. What what you? So in the beginning, it was difficult to respond. Now, no, no, yeah, I'm just like, do you know? There's this thing called endometriosis <laughs> and you know blah blah blah, blah and I give, a teaching I give them moment. that yeah it's a yeah. it's a teachable moment teachable now. moment so um right now if if I know I'm I'm still in the reproductive years yeah my doctor reminds me yeah <laughs> <laughs> all the time I'm in my reproductive years but realistically I don't think that's gonna happen yeah. right now yeah I'm I'm quite happy with right. my life um, some people continue to say, you don't know what you're missing. You are right. <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> I'm quite enjoying my life right now. I don't know. And um, I'm still able. And you're to, okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I'm able to do things that others are not able to do. Yeah. I love to travel. I can get up this, this morning and say, and yeah, you know, pop, I can jet up. Yeah. So I, I look at the positive sides of things, right? Even if I were to get pregnant, um, I don't, I, I don't believe that the environment would allow a fetus to thrive. Right, right, right. Based right. on based on all on the scarring know, right. and everything. And I know some people will say, you know, they're natural things to soften scar tissue or whatever. Yeah. Look. God alone, no. I'm yeah. over 40. Right. I can't believe I said that out loud, right? Wow, yeah, well, yeah. lots of things going on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've had a life that has been full of right? lots of interesting moments. Right, so we own so it. I, I, I own, <laughs> own it, it right? right? I'm over 40. I don't see it happening. But where I can serve in another way, I wholeheartedly do so. Well, this brings me to my final question. And um, 
I was going to say, I was going to ask you this, but you answered, you've repositioned endometriosis in a positive <laughs> way. I like repositioning because in life we have to reposition people. Mm-hmm. We have to reposition a lot of things so that we can live in peace. Mm-hmm. And right now I can hear that you've repositioned it. Mm-hmm. You know, the final question is, and you've answered some of this already, how does disease become purpose and advocacy? Um, we know how, but but do you think Starting the foundation is your is one of your purposes because you can have many. And um, why? Why be an advocate? I mean, you don't have to. You could have just gone through this and just been like, okay, cool. But you did say you want to serve. Yeah. But why is it important for you to serve? I was... That's a really good question. This all started out with me in a living room with my husband saying, you know what? We should start a website and put stories about endometriosis so women in Jamaica can have a clue because there wasn't much information out there. And my mom said, Shauna, why don't you start a foundation? Right. That's how it started because she said it will have more impact. And I said, you know, that's true because I really, I felt that I got the bad end of the stick in terms of not having the knowledge as a young person that this thing existed. Yeah. I probably would have made other choices. So had I known when I was 13 or 20 or whatever, maybe this is like um, some inception things. Right. Maybe <laughs> I would have said, you know, I'm going to try for kids early. Right. Never know. Right. Um, so I think I felt a sense of injustice right that women like me were suffering um because that information wasn't available yeah and i generally have a a sense of i generally i generally want to give back to society thought i was going to be in politics at one point mm-hmm. um but that's another story. Uh, so I felt that this was a good way to give back because it's really unfair. It's fundamentally unfair that women have to go through something that we don't talk about. Yeah. Or we've normalized painful cramps as just nor it's just a part of life. Right. Um, and women lose their jobs. Students fail their exams because of something happening on the inside and they don't have control over it right so i think that's that's one of the biggest reasons why i started this foundation because you have to advocate for yourself there's so much information out there um for you to learn but you know your body right you know your body so you should advocate for yourself and if a doctor is not telling you um what not what you want to hear right but, but if a doctor is giving you advice and prescribing stuff that's not working then you need to move on because i had gone through probably four doctors mm-hmm, mm-hmm. before getting it right yeah yeah um so that's something that has pushed me in this direction i think i took on at the time i was thinking geez i'm gonna take on more than i could chew because i had no idea that there were so many women in jamaica that had this thing i mean i get women I'll never forget, there was this lady that sent me a message at like 11.30 in the night to say she wanted to take her life. Yeah. And when I, when I get moments, when I, when I get experiences like that, it pushes me 
So sometimes, sometimes it's hard doing this work. Sometimes it's hard. It's not a paid job, right? Right. Yeah. I have a paid job, and especially when your cup is half full, right? This is this is a small team. It's a team of four. Yeah. Right. There's no funding. This is not. We've been told this is not a sexy disease. Yeah. We're not. I find that in Jamaica as well. If you're a popular charity, you'll get support. Right. Popular charity have money. Yeah. Some of, there's so many charities in Jamaica that are small that are doing the work, and there's no money, there's no funding because it's not sexy. You might not have a popular person on board. Right, 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 right. right. And this is this is taboo. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about periods, we're talking about fertility, we're talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I felt like I felt like it was my responsibility. Right. And I want to say that this has been my biggest accomplishment in my life so far is um, raising awareness of endometriosis in Jamaica because when I started, there was nothing. Yeah. There was nothing. It's taken eight years and I'm seeing where people are taking on initiatives to raise awareness. And I'm grateful for that. But it's been, it's been a rocky road. And I was just going to add on, no matter whatever your belief system is, isn't it amazing how God or the creator puts you through certain experiences to bring you right back around to other things? So you have this disease that has kind of burdened you for so many years, but it has caused you to come into greater Mm self-awareness, probably closer relationships with those around you. Mm -hmm. You have built a foundation which has not only brought awareness to others, but created empowerment for you Mm -hmm. and for them. And I don't know what's more beautiful than that. And even if you don't have a child in the long run, um, you've birthed so many other babies. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these other people who look to you for support. I mean, I'm just really saying that your life is your journey and that it may come in many different forms. It doesn't have to fit into a box of marriage, children, anything. Because mm-hmm. I think you, what, what I've heard from you, Shauna, is that you've lived a very purposeful and so far quite fulfilling life and you're only still young i'm <laughs> yeah. still, still young <laughs> this is where we launch into march's endometriosis month the color for endo is yellow so shauna is going to now tell me about important landmarks apart from you wearing yellow every day in march which you can do if you want even if it's your underwear you can wear yellow every day shauna is going to tell us about her foundation where it can be found and other important landmarks in the month of march and ongoing Okay. All right. So the one of the biggest things is wear yellow for Endo Day. That's March the 12th. Right. Um, that's Friday. We launched it last year and it's it was successful and it looks like it's taken on new wings this year. So that's big. So go into your closets, <laughs> find those yellow outfits, whether it's a yellow shirt, yellow, yellow trousers, yellow shoes, wear something yellow on that day. That's Friday, March 12th. We also have... IG lives and Facebook lives where we invite special speakers, whether doctors, nutritionists, and that's IG lives are every Tuesday for the month at 6.30. Facebook lives are every Thursday for the month at 6.30. We are finalizing a virtual endo march. Wow, right. A virtual endo march, which will take place between the 22nd and the 28th of March where we're going to encourage participants to do 10K in that period. Okay, yeah. Break it up. And the significance of the 10K is that endometriosis affects 1 in 10. 
Gotcha. Nice. So it's 10K. So we'll be, we'll be putting details up on our social media handles, which is Base Jamaica. Base Jamaica on IG, um, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you need to contact us, you can email us at hello at basejamaica.com. So we do sell ribbons and pins. Right. They're available at all Kingston Bookshop branches. Um, and I just want to shout out Mario oh. because Mario <laughs> is the first male ambassador that we've had. So we just want to big up Mario for, you know, recognizing that this is something that's big and impactful and just supporting the girls and women. Thank so, you. Yeah. I'm glad I could be a part of it. And I hope this will um, also touch many people, man, woman, child. Um, and the beauty of this podcast is most of you will hear it before end of day so i'm getting yellow ready yeah um sean i have nothing to say How, do you want people to find you personally or they can find you through base because we don't need our stalkers in here if you <laughs> did, but, but but if you do want them to find if, you, if people want to reach out directly to you and you have any other personal handles feel free to drop that too um yeah anything all right base is cool you can reach out i, I want to say one of the easiest ways is to email hello at base jamaica or send a message to base jamaica on ig all right yeah. those are the two easiest ways to get through all right folks make sure you do that she's a busy woman she has a lot on her plate <laughs> <laughs> but but i'm sure that they will respond to you if you reach out because that's part of why we're why our base is here right mm-hmm Shauna, thank you so much for your candid, honest um, sharing of your experience. Um, yeah, thank you. It's been a blast, Mario. Thanks for having me as your guest. You just listened to episode number 55 of Tatrud. And I'm your boy, Mario Evan. Don't forget to follow us on social media at TLKTRTH. That's Talk Truth Without the Vowels. Everywhere on social media. But our website is spelled out TalkTruthJA.com or send us an email at TalkTruthJA at gmail.com. Subscribe, like, rate, share with your friends. You know, comments on Apple Podcasts really helps the podcast to position better on the charts. So show some love, send us some feedback. And you know, if you send us a review, we'll gladly read it online. People, do your research on endometriosis if you never knew about it. Support the Base Foundation. And we again thank Shauna Gayfola Clark for her wonderful um, sharing of her story. Until next time, guys, this is Talk Truth, a place where your truth shall become your power and set you free. Later.